0: Welcome to the Maximizing Outcomes podcast, brought to you by Jim McGovern and the McGovern Wealth Group. Achieving bigger and better results with money, family, and business isn't about creating a bigger to-do list for yourself. It's about who can help you create results without you having to do all the work. Listen as we provide uncommon perspectives, powerful resources, and experienced people that can help you maximize outcomes in your life. Let's get to the
1: show. Hello and welcome to Maximizing Outcomes with Jim McGovern. Jim, how are you? I'm doing great, Eric. I'm excited we have a special guest on today's show. Yeah, I, I'm so excited. When you told me this, I was like, who does he got on the show? I, I, we've got a chance to speak just a little bit before we hit the record button. Why don't you introduce your guest to the audience?
2: Absolutely, so we have our special guest today is Dr. Jessica Hallworth, who is an assistant professor of special education at Slippy Rock University, located right here in Western Pennsylvania. So, Jessica, welcome to the show.
3: Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. This is um, a new opportunity that I haven't done before. A podcast is pretty exciting.
2: Well, the pressure is on because you're the very first guest we've had on the show here. So you're going to set the tone for all future guests here. So no pressure. (laughs) (laughs) So you've been a professor at Slippery Rock for, what, about four years now? You got it. Yeah,
3: so I've been at Slippery Rock for four years now. And before that, I was a student. So, you know, Slippery Rock is pretty near and dear to my heart.
2: And prior to uh, being at Slippery Rock, I mean, you've been in the both the private and public education setting for quite a while now. And uh, from what I understand, you also are a, a director of a nonprofit for students with disabilities in the Pittsburgh area. Just tell us a little bit more about your professional background before we jump into some of your personal background as well.
3: Absolutely, I'd love to. So, as you mentioned, I was in uh, both the private and public education settings. I actually prefer kind of the, uh, private setting, uh, just because I like to work with students who have a more, um, challenging needs. Um, so we're talking students who are, uh, have greater behavioral, uh, needs, or maybe they're nonverbal. Um, so I've really liked to be in the private setting, but public education is where, you know, we are most comfortable and used to education. Um, so, I've done a lot of trainings for both teachers and paraeducators in the education system. Um, and that's how I really like to stay in both the private and public settings to be able to support my students that are in, you know, going for their major in special education or early childhood education and take special education classes. And then on Kind of my side gig, as you would say, Um, I'm the director, as you said, of a non-profit for students, disabilities, and what's been kind of unique about this is because of COVID, we've actually had a lot of students who do not have disabilities, but have regressed and have needed just a little bit more support. So it's been fun and, um, kind of seen a new direction for the program, uh, which has been kind of exciting working with all students.
2: So with your experience in, in education and, and even more specifically in special education, we really wanted to get you on the show because this is a just an area that a lot of parents just feel lost in. You know, this is the first time in many cases they're dealing with this and whether their child is is very young or they're maybe 16 or 17 years old, it's like that next step is a bit of an unknown. So we're excited to have you on the show to, to walk us through what the educational uh, paths are like for for different students and what the resources are. But before we jump into that, you have a pretty interesting story and, and a background that led you into the field that you're in today. So uh, if you don't mind, I mean, tell us a little bit about uh, your family and and what it was like growing up and what really led you into the career path that you're in right now.
3: Yeah, absolutely. So when I was three years old, you know, our world's changed when we, when I got a little brother and it was exciting, but also uh, my parents went through a lot of struggles. Um, when he was originally born, he had a few, uh, developmental needs. Um, and as time went on, we learned a little bit more. Um, so by the age of seven, um, my brother was diagnosed with autism and some other developmental disabilities. And that really changed the direct tra- trajectory of my entire life. I say it's been, you know, a blessing to me to have my brother and to have all of his needs that he's had. And to me, he's just, you know, a normal kid that I am mean to and do whatever else to, (laughs) but he's really helped set us up, you know, me and what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. And that's because I watched my parents really go through a lot of struggles in the school system. Um, you know, there were teachers who really didn't understand him at times. There were doctors who didn't always know what to do. Um, and especially 27 years ago, The term autism wasn't um, as you know, forthcoming as it is now. Um, So a lot of people didn't know what it was and or how to support students. Uh, So during that time, he was in and out of multiple different school districts bouncing back and forth. Uh, They really had a hard time finding, you know, the best school that was going to actually support him and his needs. Once they did, it was awesome. And he was able to, you know, move on and get a job. And um, he still lives at home with my family, but Watching my parents go through each of these different steps was very, very difficult. You know, you start in early intervention, which is when students are really young before they go to kindergarten. You know, what are we going to do to help him now? Well, he didn't really have a ton of that because of how new everything was. So once we got into the regular education system, you know, after kindergarten, again, he was still really struggling and there wasn't always uh, the support that he needed. So it wasn't actually until he was about 12, 13, that they found a good school for him that was really able to support him. And through all of that, my mom was his number one advocate. You know, my dad assisted, but my mom was really the, the driving force and she had to find every little piece of information to help him. So even now that he's graduated And he has a job now she has to navigate. Okay. How do I work with social security? How do I make sure that he's getting, you know, all the support that he needs at his job? Um, does he have a job coach? You know, all of these different things that as a parent, you don't really realize, Oh my gosh, I'm going to have to do all of these different things for my child, the rest of their life. And now they're at the point where Okay, what's going to happen when we are not here anymore? Um, so now they have to figure out who's going to have guardianship of him and who is going to, you know, work with his finances and all of these different things that, when they're one years old or even they're born, you have no idea you're going to be dealing with for the rest of your life.
2: So Jessica, with all the the changes that are, have taken place from back then till now, I know a lot of that has shaped the work that you do today. So tell us a little bit about the students that you work with at Slippery Rock and your uh, your actual field of expertise and and how you're helping uh, continue to further the educational development of, of children with special needs.
3: Absolutely. And one of the main reasons that I went into this profession, of course, was my brother. But when I got into Slippery Rock for my own undergraduate career, I couldn't believe the People And the mentors that I got to work with as a student, and that really drove me to want to now take the next step and be a college professor. So it really relied heavily on the people who were working at Slippery Rock in the education department. And they really were the ones who um, transformed and kind of led me into the path of wanting to be a professor. And now it's really awesome because I get to look at the climate of what education is and try to change it and transform it for my teacher Uh, pre-service teachers who want to be teachers and go out. So not only am I working with just one family now, you know, I get to go in and I work with, you know, a hundred teachers every single semester, and then they go out and they work in their own classrooms every day. So they're really the ones who are now going to transform education once they go into the schools. So we have a lot of work to do. um, And I think that's, what's really exciting about where I am as a professor
2: so when, when somebody goes to school and they know they want to become a teacher, whether they want to be a high school teacher or elementary education teacher, is it common to do all teachers have to go through classes where they're specially trained in special education? Or is this more of just a, a specialized path that some teachers choose to make?
3: Yeah, for a while um students were not required to take any special education classes. So if they were just gonna be a math teacher, they were just, you know, specialized in math. Or if they were gonna be a social studies teacher, they would so specialize in social studies. But now it's pretty much integrated into every a different profession within education. So no matter which type of teacher you want to be, you have to at least take some formal background information on the law and learn about, you know, what does it look like to have autism or what does it look like to um, have an intellectual disability? So that way in your classroom, you not only know what the disability looks like, uh, but you also know how to support them in the classroom if you needed to.
2: Educational system is already rather vast and it has its own set of complexities, but special education is something that's completely different to most parents that are experiencing this for the first time. So Jessica, can you just give us an overview of the path that different children can take from maybe the time they're, they're just entering the educational system and just kind of guide us through into when they're an adult? I know that we could probably spend five or six episodes on this, but if you can just start to give us an overview of some of the programs that are available, I think that'll be helpful for the audience.
3: Definitely. I think the biggest difference between special education and the rest of the education system is special education is governed by the law, right? So you have the Individual Disabilities Education Act, which is, you know, a nationwide act that we have to follow and we have to see in our school districts. So teachers have a different responsibility because they do have to follow the law. Um, so if we start all the way at the beginning, say a you know, student is uh, just born and we realize that they have Down syndrome and they're going to need maybe more support, you know, a typical child, uh, typically they're going to start with their pediatrician. The pediatrician is going to notice all of you know possibly these uh, different areas of development that they are behind in and where they need to grow. So typically they would then be referred to an early intervention program, which is from the time of birth until three years old. And again, this can vary depending on the state that you're in, but here specifically in, you know, Pennsylvania, we have early intervention until three years old, and then they go into what we call quote unquote, our school system, and they're then, um, under the school districts. So they would then be in a preschool, um, and then they go into kindergarten and they're going to receive help from their teacher. if they do need support from special education, uh, then they would have a special education teacher or a case manager who would then oversee them at that point. in Pennsylvania specifically, we start transition at around age 14. other states, usually around 16 somewhere in that age period where you're going from middle school to high school, you're then going to start your transition and what it's what's it going to look like for, uh, graduation and what you're going to do after that um, so there's a lot of different programs out there that can support uh, families through this whole transition um, at every period right because there's not just one big transition when they go to high school and after uh, we're talking transitions all the way from you know three to five there's lots of different transitions that students go through so One particularly is the ARC, um, and that's the largest advocacy organization in the United States for citizens with cognitive, uh, intellectual, and developmental disabilities in their families. And their whole mission is to promote active citizenship and inclusion in every community. So no matter where you live, they're going to be really helpful in supporting if you want an outside organization that's not in your school district for help.
2: So if we could go back to the, the early intervention years, uh, you, which you, I believe you said was from birth until the child's third birthday, what kind of resources are available in that program? And, you know, is there a cost to it? You know, how do people, um, you know, how do people even get started with that?
3: Definitely. So the pediatrician will provide you with different organizations that you can call in your state, because like I mentioned, you know, every state handles an early intervention differently, but for the most part, every state is going to be free. So here specifically in Pennsylvania, early intervention is completely free. Uh, We have things like physical therapy to support students with their gross motor skills. Um, If you have a student who needs help with fine motor skills and feeding, uh, you might have something like occupational therapy or even transportation services for the family to be able to get to a different service. Um, So again, early intervention is completely free. And one of the nice parts about early intervention is it's focus is completely around the family. Um, So the family who works directly with the child is going to be learning how to support the student with different interventions and supports at home. So that way they can learn to do over their whole time period um, in which they need to work on that specific skill. Once you get into the school district setting, you know, the teachers are only working primarily with your student. So early intervention is nice because it's really a family approach.
2: And then when when they get into the, the public schools, I mean, there's there's a lot to this, obviously. So how do they how do they track this? Pro- make sure that they're they're measuring their progress and everybody's on the same page. Is there is there some kind of a document that that guides the teacher and the family through all this?
3: Yeah, if you let's say we have a first grader who the. Uh, teacher, you know, is watching and, you know, you start to work on reading and the teacher is going to be taking data to make sure that the student is progressing um, just like they would with a regular report card. Right. So they're taking data and they're watching their students grow and they might notice that a student is not reaching the milestones or the benchmarks that they um, would hope them or hope they would. So now they have this data that's showing, Hey, I have some red flags. Um, so then they can go and they can request for the student to be evaluated. Um, and they would get permission from the families as well as their school district. And they would move forward with a formal evaluation process. Um, and if the child, then, um, we have some, data that says, hey, you know, we do need to move forward and the evaluation comes back, maybe they do have a disability, maybe they have a reading disability or something like that, uh, then they would get the support they need and they would have what's called an IEP, which is an individualized education plan or a program. And this would then guide the teachers and the families to support them and their goals.
2: So I'm sure you hear this all the time, Jessica, because I know we hear it on our side is that uh, you know, a lot of times parents don't even know. All the services that are available to them. Yeah, they're, they're just kind of lost and trying to navigate this themselves. And they're busy, they have careers, they have other children, I mean, they're, they're really pulled in a lot of different directions. So how does a parent even find out what some of these services are and what's available to them? And, and how do they, I guess, who, who guides the parents?
3: And that's a hard one because if a parent doesn't necessarily reach out and ask, uh, sometimes they're not going to get what they need because, you know, teachers have a lot of students on their caseloads as well. So my, I always recommend go to the teacher first. Um, if you show that you need help, uh, then I feel like you're going to get more than if you just kind of sit back and watch on the sidelines. Um, and then, you know, that's an unfortunate thing for me to say. I wish that I could just be like, you know, you're going to be given this red carpet um, and everything's going to be out there for you. Uh, but unfortunately, I don't think that that's how it is yet. And hopefully we can change that as time goes on. But go to your teacher first and ask for help if they're already in the regular school system and then go from there. If you're not in a school system yet, really rely on that pediatrician that you go to or this sounds kind of silly, but in today's age, you can really just Google and, you know, what is near me? Where can I get help? I think that's always a good place to start.
2: Are there any any services available that, that kind of act like a like an advocacy program for parents and the students that, that assist them with this? Or is, is it really you're, you're out on your own?
3: Um you do have the ARC within each of your different uh, states, but there are some comprehensive services and supports for children and uh, adults. And typically they're different between every state. Here in Pennsylvania, specifically Western Pennsylvania, Achiva is the largest provider. Um, so I feel like now that you have, our listeners have a name like Achiva or the ARC, they could go and then Google. And even if they don't have it specific in their state, they could always call, you know, Achiva or the ARC and say, Hey, where do I go from here? Just Google, find their number. And I think that that's always a good place to start. Okay.
2: You mentioned the, the individualized family service plan. I mean, you mentioned the IEP how often do these things get updated? Is this something that's just like a, you know, once a year kind of approach is something looking at monthly. I mean, what, what do you recommend around that?
3: Yeah. With early intervention, you have your individualized family service plan and these documents should be looked all the time. So every week you're going to be doing your progress monitoring. Um, and that should have a direct reflection of your IFSP. So specific to early intervention with your IFSP, that's going to be the legally has to be looked at at least 6 months um so every 6 months they're going to give updates now within your 3 to 21 So with the IEP, that is going to be looked at yearly, but you never want to look at it just once a year. So as the student progresses and developmentally, they're reaching their milestones, you should be going in and making um, changes to that all the time. This should be a working document. You know, you don't want your student to become stagnant. So if they reach a goal within a month, you should be going in there and changing it. So that way the student is making more progress. Um, Very similar to... If you're training for a half marathon and you reach finally the three mile mark, you wouldn't just stop there and continue doing three miles and never reach uh, that end goal. So very similar. You want to go in and update it as frequent as you can.
2: So I'm sure you've, you've talked to people in many different school districts and uh, I'm sure you've heard some, some great stories, but also some, some challenges the parents have faced. I mean, what are, we're not going to mention any school districts here, obviously, but what are some challenges that you've seen parents come you know, come into as they're trying to navigate these waters? are trying to do the best they can to to you know, get a great education for their child, but maybe the the school district just isn't very well equipped. What are some things that you've seen come up over the years that really uh, have been frustrating for the parents and the students?
3: I think sometimes it's just not getting the individualized support that you know, they want their student to have all the time. It's so hard. There's so many different students. There's so many different needs. And the hard part about special education specifically is that everything and everyone is very individualized. And I think that that's very hard for school districts to be equipped. Um, You're never going to have two students who look exactly the same or need the same exact thing, um, which makes it really difficult. And I'd say that's probably the number one area that school districts have a really hard time with this because, you know, if I have five students, they all look completely different and I have to, you know, formalize their education in a much different individualized way. And I think that that's very hard for school districts when you're not always equipped, as you mentioned.
2: So maybe, maybe you're noticing that you know, your, your student is just not getting the attention they need and maybe the school district, I mean, they're doing the best they can, but it's just, you know, the child needs even more Than what the school district can offer. Uh, What are some, what are some other resources or other tactics that the parents could use to, you know, get their child, those those additional, you know, areas of of programming or, or support that they need outside of the school district? Any ideas on that?
3: I would say definitely go through Achieva or, you know, those types of programs. There's also so many nonprofits out there that support students that are either free because they get grant funding, or there's so many scholarships and things like that are out there. Um, So I would try to navigate what in your area is free that you could um, use or for a very low cost. Um, So things like the nonprofit that I work, you know, for and with, that's a great program that a lot of, you know, families don't always know that it's out there, but it's tutoring or it's uh, social programs that they can participate in that aren't necessarily driven by the school districts, but they provide the students the, you know, the help that they need.
2: So if we shift gears here just a little bit and we just kind of fast forward, you know, maybe the child is, is getting to the late high school years or maybe they're, they're getting ready to graduate high school and they're no longer going to be under the direction of the school district. Uh, what are some programs that are available at that point to continue on with uh, either lifelong learning learning? or uh, transitioning into the workforce? What are what are some uh, areas of resources that parents have to rely on for that?
3: This one is so hard. And this transition is definitely the biggest and one that I think that every state is still trying to navigate and figure out effectively. Through the ARC, though, as I've mentioned, I feel like I've used them a lot, but they really are um, a great organization that you can go through in order to support that. There's different depending on the state will depend on how you navigate this. Um, so specifically in Ohio, they still use like an MRDD unit or a, um, specifically in Pennsylvania, we use things called, um, intermediate units and they can help support, you know, that next step. The great part about working with your school district during high school is you do have to complete a part of the IEP that focuses on transition. And there's different areas and elements that you have to complete, like employment. Where are we going to go next? Independent living goals. So what, where, you know, what is that going to look like? And then they also have to look at employment opportunities, um, and education. So if they're going to go into, maybe a community college and then get a job from there. Are they going to live independently? Um, So all of that is starting to look at, at, you know, age 14 and 16, and hopefully they can uh, put out a plan. And then the school district can also offer services to help, you know, connect you with what's next. Um, Some school districts do have what's called a transition coordinator, and they're in charge of all of that. So they would be the ones who have outside contacts to support the families in the schools.
2: And, and I guess as far as um, you know, just shifting gears here a little bit, you know, looking at the different um, school districts, you know, if you're a parent and you're just saying, I, I just the, the public school system is just not right for my child, what are some other avenues that they could take to to get a more, um, I guess, a more customized educational experience? Uh, private schools, I mean, there's some other programs out there you could you could speak to.
3: Yeah. Private schools. Um, those are always available. Usually they do have a cost to them. However, if the school district is not able to support them and the family believes that, you know, a different school would be better. A lot of times the school district will be the one who has to actually cover the cost for it. So keep that in mind, uh, because it's not always you as the parent who has to do the upfront cost for it. If the school district is not providing you with that service. Um, so Charter schools are also very popular. They could be online. Some of them even are specific to disability categories. Um, we have one here locally in Pittsburgh that is specific to dyslexia. Um, so it all depends, you know, what the student is needing and their area of um, deficit.
2: All right. So I'm going to ask you a loaded question here. You know, with all the experience that you have, both personally and professionally, if you were meeting your parents, if you could like go back in time, knowing what you know now, and you could guide them along uh, differently. What, what kind of advice would you be giving your parents uh, if you're able to work with them uh, at the time that your brother was born and he was first diagnosed and, and they were just like completely lost and scared and confused? What, what advice would you be giving them?
3: I actually think it would be pretty similar to how my mom handled, you know, the whole situation of my brother's lifespan. I would actually say is be the biggest advocate that you can be. If someone tells you, no, find the next person that will say yes. Um, Because I think a lot of times parents become discouraged. And when they hear that first, no, they just say, okay, Um, but go forward and try to find someone who will say yes, because I think that person is going to help to guide you.
2: All right. So Jessica, if, if you were going to give some advice to teachers that are entering this field, uh, what's some advice that you could give them to accelerate their growth understanding of, of the different tools and resources available to students who have disabilities?
3: I think one of the biggest things you can do is find parents and talk to them and listen to them. Um, because a lot of times I think we are scared of parents, you know, oh my gosh, they're going to be mean to me or, you know, I'm not going to know how to talk to them. Uh, but I think Understanding parents and really understanding their point of view and where they are is going to help you so much in your career. It's going to allow you to really understand and uh, know how to support parents rather than being scared of them. And a lot of times, parents are not scary, they're actually just trying to do what's best for their child. So keep that in mind uh, as you navigate different families.
2: Fantastic. So, Jessica, I just want to thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule to, to be on the show here today. And you know, if someone's listening and they and they have some specific questions, is it okay if they reach out to you?
3: Absolutely, they can find me on LinkedIn. It's Jessica Hall H A L L hyphen W I R T H, and I would be happy to support anyone. And you know, even just give some links of things that I think would be helpful.
2: Fantastic. And uh, I guess before I turn it back over to Eric and we wrap the show up here, you know, if you're if you're out there and you're listening, and there's some topics uh, around this this subject matter that you want to make sure we spend more time on, feel free to reach out to us at info at mcgovernwealth.com and feel free to suggest uh, topics for future episodes or specific questions you want to make sure that we bring an expert on to address. But uh, Jessica, I thought this was fantastic today, a great overview of the educational system and what resources are available to to parents and students. So with that, Eric, let me turn it back over to you to wrap us up.
1: I appreciate it. Jessica, I just want to echo what Jim said. Thank you so much for the time that you spent with us today, but more importantly, the time that you spend teaching that next generation, helping families uh, navigate this. I, I just, I can't uh, thank you enough. It's it's an amazing thing that you do. Uh, Jim, I know that you also help families with special needs kids, and I, I don't want to leave this podcast without you putting your contact information here at the end, because it's not just one area that these families need help and support in. And I know that you really come alongside them as a as an advocate financially, you know, as far as helping them get their financial house in order to be able to provide the best services for their children. So what's a, uh, the best contact for you?
2: easiest way to reach us is either to go to our website, which is www.mcgovernwealth.com. or like I said a minute ago, just shoot us an email at info at mcgovernwealth.com and uh, just let us know what your question is and we'll jump on a call and we'll help you any way we can
1: fantastic Uh, again thank you both for the podcast today and our last thank you always goes to you listening audience thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the maximizing outcomes podcast with jim mcgovern if you have not subscribed to the podcast yet please click the subscribe now button below this way when jim comes out with a new podcast it'll show up directly on your listening device this also makes it really easy to share these podcasts with your friends and family If you know a family out there that needs to listen to this and hear this information today, please share this with them. Uh, They'll thank you. I guarantee it. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at McGovern Wealth Group, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time.
0: Thanks for listening to the Maximizing Outcomes Podcast, brought to you by Jim McGovern and the McGovern Wealth Group. Be sure to follow the show to be notified when new episodes become available. To suggest a topic or guest for a future episode, or learn more about how we can help to maximize outcomes in your life, visit our website at www.mcgovernwealth.com. This podcast is intended for general public use and is for informational purposes only. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by Park Avenue Securities, Guardian, or McGovern Wealth Group, and opinions stated are their own. By providing this content, Park Avenue Securities LLC is not undertaking to provide investment advice or a recommendation for any specific individual or situation or to otherwise act in a fiduciary capacity. Please contact a financial representative for guidance and information that is specific to your individual situation. Guardian, its subsidiaries, agents, and employees do not provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Consult your tax, legal, or accounting professional regarding your individual situation. Jim McGovern is a registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PAS. Securities products and advisory services offered through PAS. Member FINRA, SIPC. Financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. PAS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. McGovern Wealth Group is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. CA insurance license number. 0F67329. AR Insurance License Number 7119103. California Insurance License Number 0F67329. Arkansas Insurance License Number 7119103.
2: Number 2022-140727 expires July 2024.